We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Today's episode of the Bronx Pinstripe Show is brought to you by Draft.com. It's opening day, which means it's fantasy baseball season. Our listeners get a free entry into the real money baseball draft when you make your first deposit. Just use promo code BRONX. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 316. It is finally opening day. The long winter is over, Scott, or the day we've all been waiting for. You feel all warm and fuzzy inside? It's good, man. I'm happy about this. I'm drinking an IPA right now with 8% alcohol. So, yes, I'm warm and fuzzy inside. Oh, awesome. And so you're going to make day? it about halfway through this podcast. No, this is like my white wine. You know, you know how white wine gets me going, right? Like there's a lot of sugar in it. Like the mm-hmm. if I if I up the alcohol content of my beers, I'm good. And it's a it's a pint, so it's a it's a good sized beer. You know, I'm uh, I'm gonna be ready to go this entire time. Opening day has been it seems like a really long time, um, longer than normal to me right now. I guess just because it's been a, a really long week as well. But it it feels like it's it's been dragging on because it seems like we've been. We've been going through the motions for a very, very long time. So I'm, I'm just ecstatic that it's here. Well, ironically, spring training was shorter than ever. So Right, I know. So there you go. Normally, we're, so it, we're waiting another week before we get opening day baseball. So basically, nothing I'm saying is making sense. And that's, that's par for the course at this point. I get, what you're feel, I get what you're saying, though, about it just being a long couple weeks. Uh, 
it seems like months ago we were in spring training. Last episode we said, oh my god, I can't believe opening day is right around the corner. We were just at spring training. That feels like forever ago. Right. That was a long time ago. I, I have since recovered my luggage. Thank you very much, Andrew. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. And, it looked like um, it got torn apart by a cougar or something. It did. The, the post office was just like, you know what? You're an idiot for losing your luggage or forgetting your luggage. Not losing your luggage. Forgetting your luggage. And so we're just going to kick your box. It's like uh, like Ace Ventura. It's just going to absolutely destroy your box. That's what happened. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Anything break? I don't think so. We'll see if I get, we get through this episode because the mixer was definitely in there. <laughs> yeah, I made, I made sure to uh, wrap it in all of your uh, disgusting underwear that you left for me to pack. Thank you very much. Yeah. You're welcome, man. See, that's 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 a that's a close relationship right there. I appreciate that. That's what 316 episodes will do for you. <laughs> that's right. You'll pack my my dirty underwear. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Obviously, opening day, and then uh, we got some bold predictions for the season. And we teased it last episode. We're going to be talking about some reactions we had to all of the headlines that came out of Inside the Yankees Empire. Before we get to all that stuff, though, just a few housekeeping items, Scott, that you want to fire through really quickly. Yeah, so uh, a couple things. The very first one, Bronx Pinstripes event, the number one, the the first BP crew event, April 13th. Uh, Go to the website, buy the tickets. We're cutting off middle of next week. If you want a t-shirt, if you want to come to the event, um, there are still tickets left. Go and buy your tickets. Again, if you get a crew of five or more, you get half off. Ten or more gets you a free ticket. So Talk to your friends, be the person that organizes, and come watch the Yankees with other Yankee fans in a group. It's fun. Section 205. Um, check that out. We're going to be pre-gaming at the dugout as well. And the other thing, the chapters, the BP crew chapters, like they're, they're just blowing up at this point. Uh, there's a lot of events happening. We got guys doing watch parties for opening day. Um, go to Facebook, search BP crew, and you will find the group. Join that group and then join... Uh, your local chapter, because we're popping up all over the place. These guys are setting up Twitter accounts. We've got them all over the place. We're taking over, uh, taking over the, uh, taking over the world. Actually, yeah. taking over the world you've, with Yankees fans. You created a, an army of people. I love it. It's Yankee fans all coming together uh, as a collective unit in their own town to root on this team. I mean, what what better thing is that? What better place can you go and like meet a buddy? Like that's the best place. You can go meet new friends. You can meet your wife. You can meet your husband. You can do whatever you want. But you're watching the Yankees, and you have that common bond, and I love it. It makes me that makes me all warm and fuzzy inside. You weren't kidding um, that it's blowing up. I I looked at the Facebook group and I said I saw that I had over 200 missed messages, and I decided eh, maybe I'm not going to get to all of those today. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot, and and. Bless Colleen's heart because she is doing a lot. She's getting she's getting a lot of information from all all, all around. So um, I can't tell everybody how much I appreciate her uh, enough. So she's doing a great job, and everybody who's stepping up in their in their town, it's just really cool to see. So if you are listening to the show and you're not in New York, well, the New York people, don't worry, we have five events for you. We're a sixth one with a watch party for the London game. We're doing a lot of stuff in New York as well. But for those of you that are outside the New York City tri-state area, go look it up, get involved. If there's no chapter, start a chapter, get some Yankee fans together because it's more fun to watch games with fans. Bottom line, that's it. I liked your tagline, um, BP crew, it's fun. It is fun. It's a blast. 
That's it. That's all I got. We got we got some George's we've, box. We've got, yeah, we've got some podcasts. Well, first of all, there's been a podcast that's come out every day for the last two weeks, it seems. So if you Oh, I haven't noticed. If you guys have missed it, we've been doing our regular shows plus extra shows. We've we did a Ailey's preview series where Scott and I did two each. We talked to different uh, either media members or other podcasters from each of the Ailey's teams. All of those have been released. Last week was the Rays and the Red Sox. This week was the Blue Jays and the Orioles. Go check those out. Also on the current feed that you guys are listening to us on right now is episode two, the second full episode of George's Box. That episode, um, we we had said last week that it would be out on a new feed. We didn't anticipate. We didn't te- really lie. We didn't we anticipate didn't really technical lie. issues, although we should have anticipated technical yeah. issues because there are yeah. always technical issues. I mean, of course there are. There have to be. If it's a Bronx pinstripes thing, there's going to be technical issues. It's just what happens. Uh, yeah, so we're waiting for Apple to actually release their feed. Hasn't happened yet. Apparently, they're backed up and it's not happening as fast. So um, you're getting it one more time on our feed, and very possibly you'll get it one more time next week, and for sure it'll be done by then. So, But we will absolutely uh, tell it. you guys when and where to, to subscribe, rate, and review all that good stuff on the yes. new feed when it's out. All right. Absolutely. So, like I said, opening day, Thursday, and then we got a couple games over the weekend. Makes you feel all, all warm and fuzzy inside, but I want to just give a little PSA to all the, the baseball fans out there for this weekend, because this weekend is one of those, you know, it's the first weekend where people, you gotta, you, you gotta get your feet wet, you gotta get used to things again. And one of the things that uh, always surprises me is people freaking the hell out about every lineup decision, treating it like... It is game seven of the World Series, even though it's game one of 162. It's going to be a little different this year, though, I think, because there's just there's just not that many bad choices. Uh, there's one. I'm sure they'll find. I'm sure they'll find. There's them. one bad choice on the roster. Greg Bird. No, Mike. Mike Talkman. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. If he fine. starts Mike this t- weekend, I am going to be livid. I know he's going to start because Aaron hit. Oh, so you're going to add to the you're going to add to the crazy. Uh, yes, because it, w- the Yankees play Thursday. They don't play Friday, and then they play Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Right. The Aaron Hicks is has not even done baseball activities yet. So the, there's he's not coming back soon. I, I, probably two weeks, maybe even more. So yes, Talkman's going to start. It's going to be Shane Robinson 2.0, where Shane Robinson started like something like 20 games for the Yankees when Aaron Judge was out. We're going to get the same thing with with Mr. Talkman. Just don't make it be the opening weekend of the season because they don't need rest on game two and three. Hey, I heard I heard Clint Frazier went five for five uh, with some power. Yeah, the day. yeah. Get, get Talkman off the roster. Get get uh, Clint Frazier up here. I'm okay with that. This is, this is just what I've heard. Yeah, I mean Talkman, the the guy that we talked about him in the last episode, and we kind of brushed over it really because it's 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 a it's a non factor at this point. Yes, he's there. He's going to play some defense. He's there because he can play all three defensive spots. He's got some pop from AAA. Uh, the pop has not translated into the pros, but you know all the brains and the the smarty pants uh, analytics department of the New York Yankees. Obviously, think that there's something there, and that it translates. They're one for one now, I guess, with Voit. Uh, you know, trying to get we can get Chase and Shreve back too. By the way, he got released. So if we wanted, if we wanted that back, kind of like what we did with Warren, we could do that. Just if anybody's interested. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think with anyone's interested. <laughs> I don't think anybody's interested. Well, we're also going to get on pace jokes. So somebody hits a home run in the first game of the season, and then a million people on Twitter are going to say, Aaron Judge is on pace for 162 home runs this year. Zinger. (laughs) 
You're excited for those. I'm excited for all this stuff. Baseball's back, baby. We're going to get yeah. comp- uh, people complaining about uh, weather because it's going to be cold in the Northeast. And it's right. cold in the we, Northeast why are we playing in games? late March and early April. So we're going to Why we're are we playing April that. games in New York? Right. Why would we ever play April games in New York? That's ridiculous. Why, why can't we start in Tampa? I agree. Why, why, why can't uh, Steimer get one of those weather machines? You know those weather yeah. machines that can change the atmosphere over stadiums? Yeah, 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 yeah. They have one in Tampa, don't they? It's, it looks like a club. It looks like a uh, like a high school prom with like fish on the ceiling and stuff. Yeah, get one of those in the Bronx. I mean, like talking about payroll, make that part of the payroll. Why not? Yeah, I like it. Just by God, it's perfect. And then also the cliches from all of the baseball writers and all of any time either the GM or the manager speaks. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We're going to get that cliche. That will come quite often It'll, because people will freak out. It's, it's a response cliche is what it is. Oh, of course. Of course. It's just yeah. everyone calm down. You know, game one, everyone gets hyped up. The ticket prices are more expensive. There's the pageantry of it all. But it's just, you know, one of 162. There's a long way to go. It's the old Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X. Relax. Relax. We've got Tanaka on the mound for game one. And then the rotation is going to go Paxton, Hap, Herman getting the start in game four. They have not announced a starter for the fifth game, but that would be Tanaka's regular rest because of the off day on Thursday. And then Loisica is coming back pitching the sixth game in place of CeCe, who will have finished his suspension and gone on the, on the injured list. Call it myself. Yeah, that was good. No, and and he's he's probably the closest to come back of the uh, of the you know of him Severino and Hicks the guys that are on the shelf right now. But I mean, he seems like he's going to be ready to go and not be there for very long. So I expect the CCC very very quickly return back to the roster. Yeah, and who knows? I mean, Herman and Loisca are going to get get the starts, but just just be, even if they pitch well and CC comes back, one of them can just shift to the bullpen. And right. another one of those bullpen options, Sessa. He had a great spring. We talked about his his uh, his real pro- really progression this spring. He stepped up. He made the roster. The Yankees are out of options with him, so they kind of were in a in a in between a rock and a hard place with Luis Sessa. Boone said that he could see him starting games. He could even see him being an opener. And I looked up some career splits. We've kind of mentioned this. But uh, the opener thing, or at least a, a long man for Luis Sessa, is interesting because the first time through the batting order, he allows a 688 OPS, which is a little bit better than league average OPS. Second time through the order, it balloons to 811. That's bad. And then third time through the order, it's over 1,000. That's, that's terrible. He's allowing everyone to be Mike Trout off of him the third time through the lineup. That's been the knock on, on Sessa is that he hasn't been able to finish starts. And, and once he gets deeper, like you're saying, into the second and third time around with some of these guys and they're seeing too much, he's just he's not completing uh, when he needs to. And guys are you know seeing the ball a lot better. I guess the second, third time, they're, they're seeing a lot better out of his hand. He's got a, you know, a good amount of pitches. He's got good stuff. I, I've talked about that. Like, I, he's one of those stuff guys. I, I like him. I think he's got a lot of potential. And uh, I think he could do well. It's just a matter of him putting it all together because I think a lot of it is just execution and, you know, the mental side of it and making sure that, you know, he throws the right pitch in the right spot at the right time. And, and that is usually learned by time and, and going out there and getting that experience. So, you know, he's he's getting into that point now. He's out of options. It's uh, this is like it. Said last shit time, or get off the shit pot. Shit or get him. off the pot. Yep. That's it. It's, it's time, baby. 
It's time for sure. Luis Sessa. It's also time for Mariano Rivera to throw out the first pitch on Thursday. So I, I this is just a one-time thing for opening day, but get ready for the jokes where everyone says Mariano could still close in the major leagues. Yeah, because he probably could. He's, you know, he, the, guy, the guy's uh, probably in phenomenal shape. He could probably go out there and throw the cutter at like 80 miles an hour, and it would probably still be hard to hit. So If he comes back uh, and pitches, though, how does that affect his Hall of Fame induction ceremony? Yeah, I think it bumps it back again. I think you have to re-vote. <laughs> no, I don't know. I guess I guess he would be the first uh, Hall of Famer to uh, to to play or to pitch and to close games. It'd be fun to watch. We also got Boone almost dropping a lineup on us the day early. He dropped the starters, but not the lineup. So we've got um, around the diamond, Sanchez catching Bird at first base. Torres at second base, Tulowitzki at shortstop, and Duhar at third base. Left field, Stanton, center field, Gardner, Judge is in right field. I don't know how the lineup is going to be. If I had to guess, I would say it goes Gardner, Judge, Stanton, Voigt, Sanchez, and Duhar, Bird, Tulowitzki, and Glaber. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's that's probably pretty accurate. I, I would have probably pegged it the exact same. It's the... Uh, I think this one's relatively clear in the way in what he's going to do. The fact that Bird's starting at at first base. I mean, if you're looking at Bird slash Voit, who's the better glove? I, mean, I think most people would say Bird's the better glove. You know, it, as long as he's healthy and can walk, he is. He yeah. is the better glove. I, I don't think either are great, but Bird is slightly better. Yeah, I mean, just Bird's just more of a natural first baseman. I think, and and that he's the he's more fluid in that way. Um, but look, hey man, it's I, I got to tell you. It's nice to see Bird in the lineup on opening day. As 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 much as much as I was never expecting this, um, to see him come out of of camp and you know remain relatively healthy. We had a little scare, I think, in the last two weeks, but it seems like it was much ado about nothing. And they and they rested him and they did the right thing. I think um, the fact that he's out there as a starting first baseman on opening day, not a lot of people would have predicted that. No, no one, no one predicted it because of what the Yankees told us. They told us they don't want to carry two first basemen. It just right. out of injuries, so right. out of necessity, that's why Bird is there too. But it's interesting. They're both starting from the same place on day one. They were going to both get, I believe, pretty regular playing time. Boone talked about DJ LeMahieu getting a start on Saturday. I don't know where that's going to be. Someone's going to have to go to the bench. Maybe it's first. Maybe it's a first baseman. Maybe Glaber goes to short and, and uh, Tulowitzki goes to the bench because I think they're going to really move Tulowitzki along slowly. I think that's yeah. how DJ is going to get his regular playing time. It's at second base with Glaber playing shortstop. Boone also said that against lefties, he's going to possibly lead off and against righties he'll be near the bottom of the order it makes sense career uh, splits against righties 84 wrc plus and 104 wrc plus against lefties so he's a slightly better he's a better hitter slightly uh above league average against lefties slightly below league average against righties yeah i mean i think he's gonna play a lot i mean they've already talked about that he's gonna play a lot you're saying the majority of his time is gonna come at second base and that's you know, probably purely because of the Tulowitzki. Uh, I assume that's kind of where you're going with that's that. That's where I'm going is um, because I'm making they, sure he's resting. I think they want to, at least for the first couple of weeks, they don't want to push Tulo because right. w- what is plan B for them? Plan B for them is have Glaber go Glaber, to short, short and, and DJ LeMay who go to second and then call up Tyler Wade. I don't know if they're ready to go to that plan B soon. Like you push Tulowitzki too much too fast, he could, he could get injured. <laughs> he could get hurt. So I was, 
I, I did a number of things today. I was editing audio for like mm, maybe maybe four hours, maybe five hours. I went to the gym for the first time in a long time. Oh, shit. And and that felt good. I got to tell you, it, it got my mind right. I was trying to get all, all swole for opening day and get my mind right for opening day. And it, and it worked. What'd you I do? Tell you. Just, just glamour muscles, bicep curls? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm well beyond glamour, giving a rat's ass about uh, glamour muscles. I'm, I'm here for the long term. I'm trying to get make sure that my flexibility is good. Uh-huh. I'm trying to make sure that that I can, because uh, I got softball starting in a couple weeks, so I got to make sure that I swing a bat and don't want to die the next day. Yeah, you don't want to, um, you don't want to pull a Hicks and pull an oblique or a lower back yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about, I'm, you're, I'm worried about some soft tissue injury. There's no doubt about that. Right. At this point in my life, so a little bit, a little bit of a UI uh, situation with the, uh, with the soft tissue. Uh, I, I'm worried about that. I'm, I feel like it could go at any. You second. know, there's medication if you're UI. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I live on Advil, so it's not the, what I was um, talking about. I know what you're talking about. The, uh, but yeah, I, I think that I think that we're we're going in, in the in a good place. I don't even remember what the hell we were talking about. <laughs> talking about TJ LeMayhew and Tulowitzki just getting extra time off. So, Tulowitzki, I was listening to the whole point of the gym reference was that I listened to the Tulowitzki interview on R2C2 today, and you know he's a different guy than I. I'm trying to catch up with the with the interviews that they've had with the guys that they've had on that show because I think it's a great show. And they have some guys who really open up. Tulowitzki is is a different uh, a different type than I thought. I, I don't I don't know what I expected, but I, I just didn't. He's he's kind of a killer on the field. It seems like he's he's got that like all game attitude. Like he'll talk a little shit. He'll he'll yeah. rub it in your face. I mean, couldn't you get that vibe from the first spring training game against the Blue Jays where he went yard and was fired up running around the bases? I mean, that yeah. I caught it then for sure. I, I caught it then, but I thought that was more of a moment thing because he was playing the Blue Jays because it was like such a surreal thing, like coming back against the Blue Jays, home run. I thought it was maybe in the moment at that time. I didn't, I didn't really know what his his uh, personality was and what he's kind of always been like. I don't know. I, I haven't, I guess, really followed as much Tulowitzki, um, you know, in Colorado as I. Uh, as, no, as we saw him but, up close and personal with the Blue Jays though, and I remember when they went on their minute. when they went on their 2015 playoff run. He, him, and Bautista, and I guess Donaldson too. Like the, the trio of those guys were always top step. Yeah, I mean, to, uh, D- Donaldson for sure. Like, Donaldson an ass. Donaldson was the one who would always cry that he was getting getting hit or, or people were throwing at him. He's just a crybaby. Uh, so I, I knew I knew that about Donaldson. Either way, I, I like it. The bottom line is I like it. I like the You're fact that he's in, going out there. And sinker. I'm, I'm buying into his, his attitude. I'm buying into the fact that at this point in his career, all he's trying to do is prove people wrong and win a ring. That's it. That's the only motivation he has right now. It's not the money. The money's there anyway. So what's the motivation? I'm going to prove you wrong and I need a ring because I don't have a ring and everybody thinks I'm, 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 I'm over the hill, washed up. And I like that. I like the fact that he's he's uh you know he's talking about being healthy. He's not even shying away from the fact that uh, that he's going to ramp up slowly. I mean, he's like, yeah, I'm trying not to get injured. Like he's fully aware of that of that thing that's sitting there, the elephant in the room that's sitting there. So I don't know. I like his attitude. The uh, I think he came off well in that in that um, in that podcast, and I became a bigger fan afterwards. So yes, I guess I'm buying in. Yeah, he's playing for a job in the second half of the season because as of now, when Didi comes back, there's no question it's Didi's job. So what is what does that leave Tulo? If he's not hitting, he's not on this team. So that's really what he's playing for. And he knows that. I mean, when he came into the t- onto the team, that was very well known. It's Didi's spot. Didi's going to be coming back at some point. It's his thing. And he even talked about that, how much admiration he has for Didi. 
Granted, at the same time, you know under his breath, he's like, I'm still going to make it a very difficult decision. I'm going to try my damnedest to make it a difficult decision and figure it out from there. And I hope he does. Yeah, the the difficult decision, though, won't be who starts at shortstop. It will be, does Tulo stay on the roster or do we move on or send someone else down? That's going to be the difficult decision for Brian Cashman. It'll be a yeah. It'll be a a twenty five man decision right. on on who who stays and who goes, um, because but they'll be in a they they will be in a situation where, um, you know they kind of are with Sessa where Sessa doesn't have any options. Well, you can't just send Tulowitzki down. You have to make a decision on him. You know if he's helping the team, then, you know, does do we need Stephen Tarpley in the in the bullpen? Something like that. Exactly. And the first first you know month of the season, I think for Tulowitzki. We might see him pull a Vernon Wells. Remember Vernon Wells hit over 300 the first month with the Yankees and completely fell off a cliff? Like It seems like the Yankees get these past-their-prime all-stars to come to New York. They get a little bit of rejuvenated. They put up some numbers early on, and then you know reality sets in. I, I, I could see something similar to that happening with Tulo. Yeah, I mean, that's it's probably a, a pretty good call. I mean, he, he's going to have... At any point in the season, like this is going to be his freshest. So as the season goes on, obviously, you know, these guys start to wear down a little bit more and we'll see how uh, father time and those injuries play into the fact that he's going to be playing baseball on a consistent basis for the first time in a while. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he does. And the go- I think it's definitely one of the more interesting stories though around this roster. And the good news for Tulowitzki and the rest of the Yankees lineup is they're going to be facing some easy competition to start. And I know we got in trouble with that last year, right? Every time we said the Yankees are going to be playing a below 500 team, it seemed like those are the teams that gave them the most trouble. But the first nine series, they play 28 games, five, just five of 28 are against teams that had a winning record last year. Three of them are in Houston. Two of them are at home against Boston. That's a pretty easy first 28 games of the season. And the first of the first nine, six are against the crap bag Baltimore Orioles. I mean, they have to take advantage of this. I I don't really care about these injuries. These injuries don't, to me, make a difference when you're looking at the opponents across from you when you're looking at the other teams uh that they're playing in those in those first games you know their second and third guy is better than everybody on their team so i, I i'm specifically talking about the orioles you you got to win games you have to win those games so that's that's the kind of the i guess the uh the silver lining about these injuries and the fact that we're starting the season you know with these guys on the shelf well we're also playing the orioles six times in the first what nine games or whatever it is so Go out and win some damn games. I don't care who's on the field. Right, and everyone's saying, well, the Orioles gave the Yankees trouble last year. That's true. The first half of the season, the Orioles gave the Yankees trouble. The first half of the season is when the Orioles had Manny Machado, Jonathan Scoop, and some other players that were good. Then they got extra shitty, and they still lost 115 games. The Yankees, I think, ended up going 12. They won 12 games against the Orioles last year. Didn't feel like that because the first few first handful of games, they were 500. Remember that long series... Uh, early in the season, I think it was the night before our first event, the Yankees lost like a 15-inning game to the Orioles. So like just some weird games with Baltimore last year. I'm going to do something real quick, all right? So bear with me. Hanser Alberto, Drew Jackson, <laughs> Richie Martin, Is this the Renato Nunez. Is this the, the Orioles depth R- chart? Rio, Rio Ruiz, Ruiz, sorry, Rio Ruiz, Jonathan Villar, Cedric Mullins, Joey Ricard, Dwight Smith Jr. These are Orioles. These are these are the players on the Orioles. The only guys that I left out that anybody has any idea who they are 
are Chris Davis, who had the worst batting Trey average Ma- in baseball history last year. He is he's worse than Chris Davis. I'm sorry, he's worse than Chris Davis. He's worse he's worse than Chris Carter. I don't know if that's possible, but Chris Davis made it possible. He's horrible. And Trey Mancini, they literally have nobody. Their team is got their okay, their their catchers who I was listening, they haven't even picked one. <laughs> Pedro Severino and Jesus Sucre. Okay. If we lose these a game to these guys, oh god, you're already going us. into bold predictions. I swear to God, the, the the team that we see on the Yankees, if they lose to any of these clowns, it's it's a uh, it's un it's uh, it would be unbelievable. You cannot forgive this. These are this is this is like a double A team. So this, this I'm not joking. This is like a double A team. Yes, no, no. I know you're not joking. They're legitimately a double A team. I was looking when we were putting together the Baltimore Orioles preview. We grabbed the Zips projections from Dan Zimborski, and he, there's multiple positions on the Orioles' starting nine with projected negative war. That means they're worse than replacement-level players that they have on their major league roster. I haven't seen a roster in a long time where I don't know as many players as I'm looking at this roster, and I have no idea who these people are. I'll get used to them. There are going to be 19 games against them this year. Richard Blyer is on this team. You don't know who that is? I know who Richard Blyer is. <laughs> Old Dickie Blyer? Yeah, oh, oh, oh I know him. We, we've seen him. He's been here. He's, he's had a little cup of coffee in the Bronx. That's right. But yeah, but I'm saying, like, that's their form of the, that's, that's their guy in the pen, you know? Like, that's their... It's, it's a horrible team. And six times in the first nine games. So, and I know... I, th- I want to get into bold predictions now, and I know one of yours has to do with the Orioles. So why don't you lead it off? We're going to make five bold predictions each for the 2019 season. Okay, you said you just said how many wins we had last year against the Baltimore Orioles. Twelve, is that right? I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes. That's right. <laughs> it was about that. Okay, fine. Let's call it ten to twelve. Whatever it is. If they lose less, I'm sorry. If they win less than seventeen games, it's a, it's a travesty. They need to go nineteen and zero. I called last year the the Tampa Bay Devil Rays that we should go nineteen and zero. I obviously was very mistaken about those guys. Uh, and maybe maybe I'm setting myself for something similar because a lot of those guys nobody had heard of at that time either. But they've they put together a roster. There's a lot more talent on that team, though. I, I will say this: these guys, they they are not a, a talented roster. If the Yankees win less than 17 games against the Orioles, it's bad because they need to beat them. They literally need to go 19 and 0 against them. There's if there were ever a team to go 19 and 0 against, it's these Baltimore Orioles because they're going to set another world record for losses in a season. I can't believe you're doing this again. Haven't didn't you learn your lesson last year predicting an no. undefeated season against the team, and and then no, the Yankees I ex- had a I house expected- of horrors every time they went to Tampa Bay. I ex- I absolutely I absolutely expect it. I cannot look at this roster on any given day and say that this team could beat the Yankees. Like I know baseball, it's baseball season. Like shit happens. Yeah, you can't predict. And that's it. what baseball is. You cannot predict baseball. That's what we're trying to do well, though with bold predictions. That's exactly what we're trying to do. And there's no reason they shouldn't win. All of the games against the Orioles. They're pathetic. All right, let's alternate. My first prediction is Troy Tulowitzki will play fewer games than Chris Carter did in 2017, which is 62. I mean, I don't know how bold that is, but it's, I'd say that's pretty damn close. You're just talking about Troy Tulowitzki coming in here and you're buying, you're buying the hype. I'm buying, I'm buying what he's saying. I'm not saying his body's going to cooperate with him, but I'm, I, I like his attitude. Um, 62 games... You know, that's... Uh, that was about uh, would you be- early June is when Chris Carter was jettisoned. Yeah. 
So you're you're saying that Tulowitzki's not going to make it until I, I guess because the real story here would be that Tulowitzki will not make it until uh, the point that um, Didi is back. That's what you're saying. Uh, We're going to have to have a stopgap in, in between there. Uh, no, I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm saying though that Tulowitzki uh, Tulowitzki will not finish the 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 season on the Yankees roster. I mean, okay, I'd say that's relatively. I, I'd 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 probably agree with that. Okay, even <laughs> though five minutes ago you're buying into his hype because of his yeah I'm buying into the hype because, because of his yeah, yeah. podcast interview with uh, Ruko and CC. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, li- I like his attitude. Okay, I like his attitude. He's a gamer. Yeah, you you like gamers. Yeah, I like the fact that he doesn't give a shit. I, I like that. I like that he'll bark back at people. Uh, that's my kind of guy. Um, all right, so I'm, I'm up next. My next bold prediction: DJ Lemayhu is going to hit 20 plus home runs. So. He hit 15 in 2018 with the Colorado Rockies. Everybody's saying, well, Scott, Colorado Rockies, duh. That's the greatest place to hit in the world. Well, here's where, here's where you're wrong. When DJ LeMahieu steps into the box at Yankee Stadium with all of the, the Yankees, uh, as you call the big swing and dick analytic team behind him, he's going to be looking at that short porch in right field and set his eyes on that, on that beautiful little place. And he's going to start peppering balls out He there. already goes yeah. to the opposite, up the middle or opposite way, 75% of his hits. Yep. And I think a lot of those balls, we're going to start seeing uh, the launch angle has changed. 2018, he certainly changed that. We saw more balls flying out of the ballpark. And I think some of those doubles that you're seeing in Colorado, while they're not high majestic fly, fly balls that you know go into the Rockies, these are going to be line drives that scooch over that, that right field wall. And we're going to see um, a home run total of 20-plus by DJ LeMahieu because I also think he's going to get a lot of playing time. Yeah, so I think playing time will have a lot to do with that. And I honestly don't know if he's going to get enough playing time because who are you going to sit? Unless something for the 50th year in a row, something bad happens with the first base spot, I don't think he's going to get much playing time at either second I guess we already talked about Tula Whiskey, so I'm, I'm, I'm contradicting myself here. I don't know if yeah, he's going to get enough playing time for 20 home runs is what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's going to be bad, but his home run totals for his career are 49. So he's going he's gonna to hit... I don't care. What have you done for me lately? I'm looking, at, I'm looking at what he did last year when he changed his swing a little bit. So, and, and the fact that uh, the reason he was brought here was because of the fact that he can go the opposite way, because he does go off the middle, because he does go to, to right field a lot. I think a lot of those balls that he hits, he's a line drive guy. I think some of those are going to go out of the park in Yankee Stadium. And I think he's going to, he's going to, uh, some of those doubles are going to be home runs. He's going to be translating some doubles into home runs. And the, you also have a you're bet talking about playing time. This. I do. I was a little drunk when we were in Tampa and I, I, I bet Frank who's one of the writers on our, on our, uh, on our uh, team at Bronx Pinstripes. And I'm very proud of him because he learned how to make gifts and put them on Instagram today and Twitter. Um, but he, I bet him that he would hit 25 home runs. So I was a little, had a couple beers that how night. Many, you know, it was after IPAs did you have at that point? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was after the, it was after the game on, uh, on Friday, I think. So, you know, we were at the bars after the game. So it was, it was a long day of drinking at that point. I went 25, which might've been aggressive. So you're coming back a little bit. Instead of 25, you're going 20 dingers. Yeah, but 25 wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> okay. Well, it was aggressive for a bet, though. Because yeah, the, so. the bet was playoff tickets. <laughs> it was playoff tickets. That's yeah. a couple hundred dollar bet you just made. Yeah, pretty much. So that's, uh, I, I think LeMahieu is going to surprise some people with the uh, amount of power that we see out of him. Very good. My second prediction is actually a trade prediction. Clint Frazier and Michael King get traded to the Mets for Zach Wheeler. Okay. That's not going to happen. <laughs> None of these are going to happen. Oh, mine are going to happen. That that's that's outlandish. 
That's like, I mean, the Mets are at a point right now where they don't they need him? Do they need another, uh, a, a, like a, a maybe offensive guy for this year? Or like they're kind of going for it. They just signed DeGrom. Um, I think pitching is their, the, the way that they're going to get to any, if they, if they are going to get anywhere, it's going to be because of their pitching. They, they, their offense is old. They need, they need offense. They need young offensive position players. Okay. Okay. That's, that's an interesting one. Clint Frazier will uh, set the world on fire if he gets traded across town. Uh, uh, I, big, big chip on your shoulder. I think that it would, it would actually be an ideal fit for Clint Frazier. Yeah. I could see that. Really not much to lose at that point, right? You just go out there and play, with your, play your ass off. Yeah. And he could, he could uh, shove it right in the Yankees' face from across town. I think, I think he would love it. I think there's going to be more opportunities on this team because of what's happened every year, right? Every year, something goes, something happens. Some either there's an injury, or you know, not so much like a, a massive injury, but someone who just you know has to be on the on the shelf for a little while because of something that's again like a hamstring or something like that. Like there are going to be guys that miss time, and in the outfield, I, I could absolutely see that happening. So uh, especially with you know Hicks being down still, Gardner going to be playing more center field while he's down. We got Stanton going to be playing more left field. I think they're going to want to keep these guys fresh and possibly, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Talkman. But it wouldn't it would not surprise me if um, Clint Frazier were to swap swap places with Talkman at some point soon. If, if Frazier is is like you know just lighten it up in AAA. Yeah, that's first things first for Frazier. He needs to crush the ball in AAA. Yeah, but I, I think he can knock down that door. Mike Talkman's not going to keep Clint Frazier out. Shane Robinson wasn't keeping Clint Frazier out. The, the well, problem was that Clint, concussions there was no were keeping Clint Frazier out, but right. the, the Shane Robinson thing, I'm not rehashing it. It was ridiculous that they started him in that many games. I wanted McBroomy up instead of Shane Robinson. wanted anyone, and it took finally yeah. until they traded for McCutcheon before they finally got rid of him. Right, but, but the point is, is that Talkman does have someone on his heels if, you know, if that's the case, because Frazier... Is you know again, I still think they're trying to make sure that he's in the right place mentally, uh, you know, with the concussion thing, and it seems like he's he's passed it. Knock on wood, um, and you know, if he if he goes on like a, a torrid hit streak down there and starts you know just just crushing triple triple A, I would not be surprised if they swap spots. What's your third prediction? Okay, third prediction. Luis Sessa will emerge as a uh, important factor. I was going to say dominant force, but I'm not necessarily going there. <laughs> I'm going to say Mayhew, he will, 50 home runs. Luis Sessa, Cy Young. All right, I see where you're going. Luis Sessa will emerge as a uh, a high quality piece and a guy that they use in the bullpen. So I think he's going to be a, a major factor in the bullpen. And so again, we saw him do. We saw him have a, a successful spring training. I think to me, like what I get from that is more just based on his confidence that that he's coming out. He had a good camp. Um, and now he's coming in with all the confidence in the world, still has those, that same tool, still has that same arm. I think the physical abilities are there. I think he can execute certain pitches as long as he's, um, I think confidence is a big deal for him. I think mentally he needs to be in the right place and, and finish what he starts. But at the same time, if he's in the bullpen and he only has to go an inning, maybe two innings, I think he can really unleash that, that, that arsenal that he does have, because he does have good pitches, um, and, and really just, you know, hyper focus on, on those, on those particular spots. So I could see him making that next jump. A la Chad green, a la Chad, um, uh, Jonathan Holder. I, I see Luis Sessa as that next guy. It's interesting. So far, all your predictions are positive and all mine so far are negative. Yeah. That's what it's, that's, that's the yin and yang, the yin of, this show, yang of this podcast, baby. It's beautiful. 
Not even intentional either. All right. So my third prediction is that John Sterling is going to have an absolute field day in that London series. And he's going to change his home run calls for everybody and reference something British. I'm thinking the London Bridge, Big Ben, Stonehenge, Bangers and Mash, Warm Beer, Tea Time. The list goes on. John Sterling cannot wait until the London series. I mean, I love that because I really hope that happens. I, I hope there's, I hope there's some kind of a, um, a forced British accent with the, some of the calls as well. That would be amazing to hear that majestic voice in a British accent, a horrible British accent, no less, because it's going to be bad. Um, I, I think it's, it becomes an instant classic. So I really hope that one's correct. I, I really do, and I, and I can see him doing it. He, he's a, you know, John Sterling is is a is a man of the people. He likes to give people what they want. People love his home run calls, and he gives them to us every year. So I could see him doing the the London thing. Plus, it's another audience for John Sterling. Exactly. I mean, he's about, a big stage kind of guy. He's 80 years yeah. old this year. He, he, Moonlight, baby. Moonlight. We got we to gotta go out with a bang. He's a July 1st. We got to go out with he, some he was, bangers and mash. He was born on America's birthday. So he's turning 81 on July 4th. So he's going to be almost 81 years old when he's in London. Big stage kind of guy. He's coming out firing for that series. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And I think, you know what that does? That, that just sets a really, really positive tone for this team. Yeah. If John Sterling's out there being, being just like, uh, you know, big boy John and, and making new fans over in London, that's, there's nothing but good things happening for this team. This team will feed off of that. What do you think he did all winter? Susan, Susan in her vest, John with his puns. I love it. All he did all winter was just think of uh, British puns for, for home run calls. Yeah, and they're going to be great. Even if they're terrible, they're going to be great. Well, the worse they are, the better they are. Yeah, That's how it works. The, I, I still, the Italian one, still. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not there on the Italian one. All right. Um, fourth prediction for this year has to do with our boy, Gary. I'm not even going defensively either. I'm going offensively because I have no idea what's going to happen defensively. I'm not, I'm not convinced there. Um, 35 home runs. I think we're going to see a resurgence, basically. We're going to see a resurgence of Gary Sanchez. I think he had a really bad year last year because it just kept tumbling down and down and down, and it spiraled out of control, and it became a lost year, and that was it. And I think mentally he got shot, he was done, and it dragged into the field, it dragged into the personal, it dragged into the headlines. It was just a, it was just an overall terrible year for him. Yeah, and he still hit 18 gonna... home runs last year in the worst year of his life, so... I think we're going to see a major resurgence here. I think he is. Uh, he seems like he's been working out. Got a little trim. Uh, he has a very good relationship. They're all in the best shape of their life. Yeah, even now, best shape of his life. He has a great relationship with Boone. Boone goes down there, meets the family, breaks bread. There's um, there's a lot of positivity and a lot of confidence there, and I like it. So I think Gary's going to come back. I think he's going to be the guy that we think he he was the best catcher, offensive catcher in baseball with a hose, uh, who can who could still throw guys out to uh, to make up for the lack of blocking and i think he's going to be a force so oh gary is back just he doesn't even have to be you know a blocking vacuum back there just catch the balls you should catch block the balls you should block be average sort of like what we said with anduhar be average at third base and we'll live with it yeah i mean the the end of games the close games at the end of the is where, is where he scares me that's is I want to see improvement on that. I do want to see the improvement on on his honestly the form, like getting getting in the right place at the right time. If I can see that and he's making that effort and he's getting to that point, then I think the the rest of it's just going to call it, will fall in place. But um, it's a matter of you know he's obviously in better shape. Like that's it's been an emphasis. He is 
Uh, he's been working on getting into better mechanics and better position with his feet and his legs. So I hope it translates. I hope he doesn't fall back into bad habits because that can happen definitely in a season. And I hope that he's just making these positive strides because that's that's what we're all looking for. That's all what we all want to see. And um, and again, like we saw him spiraled because bad things were happening. I think it could go, it could absolutely go the opposite way. And if uh, if he's getting some confidence at the plate, confidence, uh, you know, it, it'll roll into his play defensively, and we could see you know Gary Sanchez back as the force. Um, my fourth project uh, prediction is that year two in New York is going to be very, very good to Giancarlo Stanton. And he's going to set the single season Yankees home run record for a right-handed hitter, breaking a rods 54 home runs that he set in 2007. Mr. Stanton's going to hit 55 home runs. Ooh, a Deki Matsui home runs. I like that. I think I, I agree with you that he's going to have a monster year. I think like another year of, of Stanton being comfortable in this spot Dude, there's a lot of Kool-Aid being drinking right now. I'm just realizing this. We're we're really, really. What are you talking about? My first, my first three predictions were were not drinking the Kool-Aid. I think everybody's gonna do well. The um, everybody's yeah, I, I mean, a winner. It's like Oprah. Stan Stanton is is a guy that seems like when he gets comfortable, like everything just kind of falls into place better. And and I think that we're now in another year. We're seeing him in all these commercials. He looks loose. He looks like he and Judge are best friends. Um, and I, and I love it. I think they, they probably talk a lot. I'm making this up, but I, I guarantee they talk <laughs> they a lot. Text they text each other. Good night. Every night. They're BFF. It, it's exactly what we thought it was going to be. They're, they're trading secrets about what one big man does and another big man does at the plate uh, and they're, and they're trying to figure it out. So has Aaron judge just not been able to text him? Stop swinging at the slider low and away in the dirt. No, he has. That's what, that's what he's been. Te- that's what the off season did. That's my point. Gotcha. We're, we're, the, the, the new group text is, is much better you know, Stanton's taking advice um, judges is giving advice. I think we're going to have a big year by him from him. All, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. In all seriousness, going, being the reigning NL MVP, coming from a team that no one cared or watched, going to the New York Yankees who were one game away from the World Series. I mean, that, that was a huge adjustment for him. So I think year two is going to be, like you said, big, big relaxing. Um, he's going to be able to relax, and I think that's going to be good things. And not that he had a horrible year no, either. No, I, mean, no. I think people people over exaggerate and overstate how how um, Stanton came over and wasn't the guy that we all expected him to be. Well, you well know, at times he absolutely he was. disappeared for for That's long stretches. And yes. one of those long stretches was when uh, when he played injured, but he played every day, but he just wasn't doing anything. It was kind of a weird season. But but at the same time, he was also one of the guys that was carrying his team when Judge was down, and he was like you just said, he was going out there injured. Like he's a, this is a guy that puts it all out there. And like if if you if you were disappointed by by um, uh, Stanton's career at the I'm sorry his uh, season at the plate, you there's no way you could be disappointed by the way that he carried himself and handled himself in New York because one he took ownership for everything when he was in the bad times he owned it. And it didn't look like it bothered him. It looked like he was just taking it in stride and trying to get better. He did everything that we'd expect him to do in the right way um, off the field. I think, you know, obviously a lot of us hadn't seen him on a regular basis because he was in Florida, but we hadn't seen him take, you know, as many at-bats and we're seeing bad Stanton where nobody was expecting that. I think now that our expectations are probably a little bit more managed that, you know, if he does go through a little streak there, we'll, we'll understand it a little bit better now. And uh, and just ex- and just expect and wait for the hot ones because when that guy gets hot, I mean he's one of the he's one of the most dominant players in the game. What's your final prediction? I'm getting fired up. 
All right, my final prediction. Zach with a K, Britain, is going to regain 2016 form. I have not one negative thing to say. He had a point five four ERA in 2016. 0.54. Yeah. Not 1.54. 0.54. 0.54. Yeah. So if he pitches in uh, in the games against the Orioles, 19 of those games. I mean, <laughs> well, it's a zero ERA gonna, against the Orioles. Fine. That, no hitters. Yeah, he's, gonna, he's not going to give up a hit. He's not going to give up a hit against those against that team with those players. He's just not going to do it. It will. It'll be. He'll do everything possible not to give up a hit against those guys. I I, I do think so. It, when we're looking at at Zach Britton and his history, and and what happened and what he did to come back from that Achilles injury, he came back um, pretty quick. And now we're a full year plus removed from that surgery. He's definitely got his legs under him. And and as we saw last year, as the season went on, he got better. He got better. And I think that now we're seeing a guy that is fully healthy from the ground up. And what that's going to do is it's going to help his mechanics. It's, he's going to be more repeatable. He's going to be able to find the strike zone better because that was one of the problems that he had last year, which is out of character for Zach Britton. We're going to start to see him throwing BBs back in that strike zone. Um, we're going to start seeing a lot more downward action, some good ground balls. They're going to get gobbled up by Andujar because he's going to have another good year. Um, and... And we're going to see Zach Britton uh, go back to 2016 form. I, Not as a closer, though, as a, as a setup guy. The theme song of your predictions is that's that Lego movie song, Everything is Awesome. I don't know that. I don't know that song. Everything is awesome. You don't know that song? Still don't know that, still don't know that Everything song. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Yep. Yeah. Nope. You have a kid now. You should know that. Yeah. I'll tell you when I get to the Legos movie part. Can't wait till you start yeah, stepping it's, it's, there's on there's Legos. Of, I heard that hurts. It does hurt. Think about stepping on a Lego. Why would that feel good? It's a, sm- it's a small. Rough I just remember my dad complaining points. about that. Yeah, he was probably bitching because you just weren't cleaning up your stuff. He was probably bitching because the Yankees were losing. That's true. That's true. You need to get your dad back on the show. All right, you ready for my last prediction? Let's hear it. So I was trying to think of what the motivational phrase that Boone is going to come up with for the 2019 playoffs. Last year was beat some ass. I think this year, wipe some ass. Wipe some ass. Uh huh. Or maybe slap some ass. Slap some ass. That's very different. <laughs> no, you're you're wiping you're wiping the other team. You're wiping the ass, or you're slapping the ass. Slap that ass. He's cleaning the ass. Cle- no, you're not cleaning. I mean, if you're wiping your ass, you're cleaning an ass. No, no, there's no wet wipes involved. It's just a dry. It's a dry <laughs> wipe. He's a, he's the the uh, Aaron Boone's second year as the New York Yankees manager. His motivational speech is going to be dry wipe that ass. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Okay. So, guys, let us know your bold predictions. Tweet us uh, at Andrew underscore Rotondi, at Scott Reinen, at Yankees Podcast. Tweet us your predictions. What'd we miss? Maybe we missed some good ones. Um, Probably. Scott's very positive. I'm very, I don't know what the word is. Stupid? Is that the word? Some of them, them I feel like you're, you're, um, you're you're setting yourself up to not get yelled at. And I, and I just set myself up for a world of, of pain. <laughs> well, yes, because if Luis Sessa doesn't earn a Cy Young and Zach Britton yeah. doesn't have the greatest season ever by a relief pitcher and, yeah. and Gary Sanchez doesn't you know, get MVP votes again, right. a lot of things that have to go right for your predictions to be... And I hope that, Listen, yeah. I hope your predictions are all right. That means the Yankees are going to be in a really good spot. Yeah, right, but chances are in, uh, in August and uh, September, I'm getting murdered on Twitter. Yes, that's probably that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, well, hopefully, I mean, at least this year, I'm going to tweet. I'm going to tweet at everybody when they're all right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna just throw out 
Just, I'm just gonna go on a, on a spree. Well, you're you jinxed Sonny Gray last year. This year, if you jinx Louis Sessa, I Look, don't think I, people I see, are gonna be as angry about that. I don't even want. I'm mad you brought up Sonny Gray's name because I didn't want to ever speak it again. I still blame him. Still blame him. He's it's all on him. There's no other person to blame. All right, guys, we're going to talk about some takeaways we had from all the headlines out of Inside the Yankees Empire. Before we do that, though, as you guys know, today is opening day, and a lot of people are probably doing their fantasy baseball drafts. If you love fantasy baseball, then you need to try our new favorite app. It's called Draft. It's a daily fantasy, ba- it's daily fantasy baseball, but not like the other guys. On Draft, you play live snake drafts with other people, just like in your season-long league. Drafts last for just one night, and once you're done drafting, that's it. There's no trades involved. There's no waiver wires. You just set it and forget it. Unlike some other daily fantasy uh, apps, you can't have the same players, so you're going to have a completely different, unique team from, uh, from the people you're going up against. The best part, play for cold, hard cash and get paid out the next day. Drafts start from just $1, so there's a draft for everyone. I know, Scott, you and I are going to take this thing for a spin as soon as the regular season gets, gets going. Um, I haven't drafted fantasy baseball in quite some time. Uh, I took a lot of time off in fantasy baseball as we started doing the, the website and the podcast more, so I got I to gotta shake that rust off. Yeah, no, absolutely. We got to set up a, a group for the podcast and everybody who is listening. So join me on Draft today. Just search Draft in your app store or play right on your computer on Draft.com. And for a limited time only, the Bronx Pinstripe Show listeners get a free entry into real money baseball draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code Bronx. That's right. Play real money for free and just use the promo code Bronx when you make your first deposit. Search Draft in the app store or go to Draft.com. And enter promo code Bronx. Inside the Yankees Empire made a lot of waves uh, last few days. And you bought the book today. You haven't read it yet, but you're going to read it. Yeah. I bought the book. I have the Kindle version. Uh, I was planning on getting to it beforehand just at least to skim some parts. But yes, no, I am. Uh, I have not read it. And I'm excited to read it because uh, Clappish uh, grew up with him reading reading him in the Bergen record. And uh, Solitar yeah, he's just is the other author. Right, right. But Klappish is the guy that, that I know well. Um, you know, I read him my entire life. So the, uh, I'm excited for it. There's a lot of very interesting things. I think it's going to be a fascinating book uh, just from all the little excerpts that have come out already. The way they phrased it when they, I listened to the Michael Kay interview, the way they phrased it is, we got closer to the Yankees brass than any outsider has got before. And with some of these headlines that came out, I believe them because the first one I want to talk about is the whole relationship between Derek Jeter and Brian Cashman. Fascinating how it really started in 2010 with those contract negotiations where Derek Jeter wanted more money than Brian Cashman thought thought he was worth. You know, Jeter was coming off kind of a down year in 2010, but it wasn't that long ago he was one of the best offensive shortstops in baseball 2009 he was a beast and he had a great playoffs 2010 a little bit of a down year he wanted a ton of money Brian Cashman did not want to sign him long term into his 40s there was a point that they said where Jeter asked Cashman what shortstop would you rather have playing than me and Brian Cashman got up to three names before Derek Jeter threw his hands up got out of stood up walked out of the room told his agent you guys figure this out yeah, I mean, hearing the behind-the-scenes negotiation tactics and, and just how each guy uh, handled it, I think it's going to show. I mean, we all knew that there were 
there were issues with Jeter and the front office at that point. Like that, that was not a secret, but the details of them and the, and like, you know, just how things went down and the fact that um, we know Cashman had, has, uh, had mentioned Tulowitzki's name at some point, um, you know, alongside the relationship, whether it was right then or not, but it was thrown out there. The fact that Tulowitzki's on this team when this move, when this book drops is, is, is pretty ironic. I think, I think it, um, I, that I think that's just the beautiful irony of baseball. Yeah. So I I think this entire thing is going to be uh, very interesting to see that relationship and the, and the whole and, and once you once we read that part and just so everybody knows once we read the book we'll talk about it again at some point during the season we'll bring this back up and give like full thoughts after we read the book but the um the fact that you know they were able to make a deal for Stanton at that point uh, after a, a tumultuous relationship so that that also leads me to believe that maybe it was just a lot of hot fire at that point a lot of uh, emotions. But the actual, you know, deep relationship wasn't as, you know, tortured as, 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 I, as, as I think some people may think it is. Oh, I, are you saying that because they were able to get a deal done that maybe it wasn't as bad as, as people thought? Is that what you just said? What I think is that I'm, I'm thinking that, be, no, because they were able to negotiate at this point in their careers, right? They're able to go and, and look at a guy like Stanton, who literally just came off of an MVP. It was a huge deal, not only on the field, but off the field. The fact that they made that deal together and, and were able to um, come to a, a common point leads me to believe that their working relationship wasn't terrible. See, so I disagree. And the New York yeah. Post article leads you to believe otherwise. Um it goes into detail about how badly Derek Jeter mishandled the whole Miami sell-off and how badly he um, really communicated with Giancarlo Stanton. You remember how pissed off Stanton was? Oh, in yeah, that I remember that conference? very clearly. He was very, very open about it as well. And what that led to was that the Marlins were stuck with having to trade Stanton to basically one of four teams, the Yankees being one of them. And then Cashman realized, oh, shit. I can get the reigning NL MVP and get the Marlins to pay a little bit of his salary. He loved having that upper hand against uh, over Derek Jeter in those negotiations. Yes, they did work out a deal where originally it was supposed to be Chase Headley going to um, <laughs> Florida because all Cashman was trying to do was offload salary. Remember, he, uh, Headley yeah. was making like $13 million. Jeter countered with, we need an actual good player. And they countered with... Um, uh, Starlin Castro. Castro, who's about the same salary, but it really this article really made it seem that Cashman salivated over the fact that he could stick one to Jeter. Look, I'm sure that I'm sure that he did because now at that point when you're when you're looking at the situation today, it's it, Jeter's now in his world. He's in the negotiation business world, and that's where Cashman thrives. So yeah, I could see him doing that. But at the same time, they still did come to a relationship. I'm sorry, come to an agreement uh, for a, a massive, massive name. So there had to have been some, you know, some good, uh, uh, some good intentions there on, on both parts for them to actually make this deal work. So, yeah, I suppose uh, it, it just, you know, this one thing that, uh, that I really took away from, from this whole stuff is, is the psyche of Brian Cashman. He is, I mean this uh, in a good way. He's a son of a bitch. <laughs> and yeah. he has fought for everything. He started in the Yankees organization when he was 18. Yes, he basically got in because he knew somebody, but he was 18 and he was an intern. And he worked his way up to friggin' general manager. And he, and he, he was a, a college baseball player who was over, always overlooked. He's five foot seven. He's a little short. He was always overlooked. He kind of has one of those Napoleon complexes. So 
This dude does not take shit from anyone. No, I, I think it's a great story. I mean, when you looked at how he came up and the fact that he started out as an intern and climbed all the way up to the New York Yankees organization, it's an amazing story. And and obviously he had to have fought his ass off to get to the point where he is today and and really stand you know, by his convictions and, and make hard decisions and fight for his decisions, fight for his, uh, his opinion on things too. You don't get to a place like that unless you... You know, you go up against some big people probably at some point with an, you know, with a with a big decision or a uh, an alternative thought, and and you be right. So he had to fight for a lot of that, and I think that's one of the one of the big parts that I'm really looking forward to the book is is to, you know, just read more about his rise and and just the things about him and uh, how he, um, you know, the internal workings of Brian Cashman within the organization because I I think that is fascinating. Yeah, and they, he's it's really Brian Cashman's team and organization as we've sort of learned over the last yeah. couple of years where he has assembled the biggest analytics department by far in major league baseball uh right. they have offices not only in in new york but offices in tampa so uh analytics and scouting <clears throat> like no one is even close to what the yankees organization is putting out yeah and i mean not only just those two places but they're in the uh you know they're in the caribbean we saw the, the complex, our, our boy Joe's McFly was out in the Dominican Republic. I remember seeing a video that he was recording, going through the gates, trying to go into going into the Yankees complex in the Dominican Republic. Right. It looked it, like it, a, it looked, the spring training facility gates. Like it was, it yeah, was massive. It, it was it was crazy. So they their stamp is everywhere. And yeah, the um, the fact that he's instituted one of the, the biggest analytic departments or the biggest analytic department. It just it just kind of shows what he is, too. He's, he's a he understands the time and. You know, he doesn't want to be second to anybody in any way. And whether it's having the most analysts and being on the forefront of the technology and making sure that the numbers are working in his favor, or at least that he knows how to work the numbers in his favor, that's important to him. And that's how you get to where you to become the general manager of the New York Yankees when you start as an intern is knowing all the information and setting yourself up for success. And that's that's obviously what he's done. It's also very interesting, his relationships with the three managers that have um, been here uh, while Cashman has, Joe Torre, Joe Girardi, and Aaron Boone. So Cashman was a huge Joe Torre guy. Apparently, after Torre wrote some stuff about Cashman in the Yankee Years book, which I have read, but I read a very long time ago, and I can't recall what he, what he really said. There was a bit of a falling out. Cashman... Um, had defended Tory countless times, actually prevented him from being fired at least twice in 02 and 04. Obviously, he was finally fired in 2007. But um, so that's one thing. Girardi basically, and we knew this, Girardi lost his job in the summer of 2017 when he had the whole stuff go down with Gary Sanchez and he benched Gary Sanchez. And like we said, remember all last offseason we talked about, well, Brian Cashman didn't plan on the Yankees almost making the World Series. That Yeah, made it, made it more of a PR mess. Made it a PR mess, but I don't think it the, the way um, the authors talked, they don't think it w- ever changed his decision. Right. Yeah, no, it just made it look like it was a very... It was a, It made it harder for him to sell it, I think, to the public. And it made was- Girardi stunned because he, he thought... There's no way I'm getting fired now. We were right. a couple innings from the World Series. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that whole thing I'm very interested to read about, too. Um, I think one of the big things, too, one of the big Cashman takeaways that, I, again, I haven't, we haven't read the book yet, but this is just going off of the excerpts and, and kind of putting, um, you know, connecting the dots a little bit. Cashman got the trust of the, of the um, Steinbrenner family very early, and that was 
you just talked how he saved Tori's job a couple times. Because he had the he had the trust he had the ear of George of Steinbrenner George yeah people thought he George. was George's uh, whipping boy when in yeah. reality that he was okay with that public perception because he knew behind closed doors Steinbrenner George Steinbrenner respected the hell out of him he was yeah exactly he was a, he was a, a confidant at that point yeah exactly and 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 that relationship obviously Cashman made it a point to say okay I have a good relationship with the boss. I need to establish that good relationship with the kids as well because at some point they're going to be there. So he played the long game at some point and made a decision that, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to stand up because he could have done this. I'm not going to stand up and say I've been here, I'm the one that's done all of this stuff and now that Hal or um Hank are taking over at whatever point, you know, I should be the guy making the decisions because that's who he understood that there's a family dynamic here and you'll never ever get past the family. So you might as well uh, cozy up and make good with everybody down the line. And I think that's what he did. I, I mean, you look at this as like a, you know, it's a guy trying to get into the family and he's never going to be in the family. He'll never be a made guy, but he can always be one of the top guys. And I think that's what he did. He just, he just earned that trust and kept uh, the trust going down the line, down the Steinbrenner line. But it's pretty fascinating how different the Steinbrenners are, right? George is yes. the polar opposite of Hal. And Hal, George led through fear and intimidation. Hal leads through uh, trust in his employees and information and by and a plan and a plan. And, you know, he's not, you know, he, uh, Girardi was upset, so upset that he got fired. He called Hal Steinbrenner. Hal Steinbrenner said, well, this is Brian Cashman's decision. I stand behind Brian Cashman. Whereas can't you see George in that scenario saying, what? I didn't know about this. Like, playing the the opposite side and and saying okay i'm gonna fix this don't worry about it yeah it's really hard for me not to picture larry david right that's now, i was moving way. my arms like larry david <laughs> yeah. it's impossible for me not to to think that but um yeah no i think i think that's a that's a big deal and the fact that that how you know stands with cashman and, and and it just goes back to that trust i think cashman made it a point at some point at, at some at some place in his career he understood what was happening and he understood that uh, that the big boss was not going to be there forever. And you better establish a relationship, build trust with these other guys before they get into power. Because if you don't do it and then they get into power and then you try to you know cozy up to them, it's not going to go well. But if you do it beforehand and you establish that, you build that trust, you say, this is who I am. I'm a loyal guy. Like this is very much, this is a mafia story is what this is. <laughs> and he did that. And now, and now he's, you know, he's a top, he's a top guy in the, uh, in the family. The Godfather part four is just <laughs> the inner workings of the Yankees organization, but it's, it's not far off. They talked about, there's basically four figureheads that make decisions, big decisions, ownership, Cashman analytics, and the scouting and development department. And Cashman does not make any decisions without uh, consulting his departments. And one of those decisions was the manager and who are they going to hire? This was possibly my favorite part of, of the interview when they talked. Of course, of, of course, it was. When they talked about the quiz that they gave Aaron Boone, they gave him sheets of paper with statistics on them with no names and said, Phil. They gave all manager candidates, though, right? Yes, all manager candidates. Fill out the lineup just based on these statistics. Aaron Boone apparently got nine out of nine right. He's the only one. That is why he got the job. Obviously, other factors too. He could be a communicator. He can he can um, communicate with the young players. He can be the figurehead and answer questions to the media. But they were looking for someone who could take direction from the the big swinging dick analytics department. And Aaron Boone was their man. 
So there's a couple things that go in there, though. Like the fact that he is a cerebral type manager. I mean, he's a smart guy. Everybody knows that he's a smart guy and he's a good communicator. Like you said, he's a people person. But at the same time, he's making the decision, looking at these, looking at these numbers and saying, okay, I know the numbers. I know what they want me to say. I know what they want me to write down right now. So I'm going to write those down. He's a people pleaser. Well, how come no one else got him right? He's a guy because they're stupid. (laughs) He's smart. He understands it, but he's also a people guy. So not only can I get these right, and I know that they want to hear it, and I know what they want to see, so I'm going to do that. But at the same time, I'm a people guy, and I can build relationships. And how do we know that he just didn't know the answers, wasn't going to go against the answers, but knew the fact that they were looking for that, and just put them down? How do you know that? Well, they could have how been. How do you know that he didn't outsmart everybody, and now is just making decisions on the fly? I'm not so sure that they were specific stats directly related to players on the Yankees roster. They could have just been made up stats. I think a lot of the things that that or that um that they see in Boone is the fact that he can uh, identify those numbers though and and like realize those numbers and then you know pull them back up in his head or on a on a, a cue sheet or whatever it is to make decisions in game with what he's looking. I, I do believe it's a full package and I think we're going to see that play out more this year. That's one thing I'm really looking forward to seeing is more of Boone and how he makes his relationships. I'm sorry, how he makes his decisions on the field. Uh, I, I do think we're going to see more of a mix of the analytics plus what he's looking at with his eyes, because I think he got in trouble last year with some of the analytical decisions that were just solely based on numbers. And you know, if he's not using the eyeballs and his gut a little bit with with the support of the numbers, he's not going to be as good of a manager. And I, I think he has the ability to do all of that together. And I think in the end, that's why he's the guy that they were sold on. Right. And there was they were saying that the analytics department actually has representatives in the tunnel during games feeding Boone information. And it's up to Oh God, I have such a hard time believing this, but it's crazy. It's why would why would they lie? Why would they why would they lie? Why would I lie? Because that's what they do. I don't think they would lie about this. I, I think it was probably overblown where people took that to mean, oh, the analytics department is actually managing the team. No, it's up to Boone to then use that information, either take it, ignore it, or somehow apply it to what's going on in the field. So yes, it's Aaron Boone's decisions. Um, they asked, uh, uh, Kay asked, does Aaron Boone have the ability to manage with his gut? Does he have the leeway to manage with his gut? They said, yes, but he better be right. So I'm, my question is, was some of those decisions we saw in games three and games four of the ALDS, because unfortunately for Boone, those were the two worst managed games he had all season. When he brought in uh, Lance Lynn in, in the bases loaded situation in the middle of that game three game, and he left Sabathia in there to die against the right-handed hitting Boston lineup. Were those analytics decisions or were those Boone decisions? There is not one person on the face of this planet that would say in that in that instance, I'm going to bring Lance Lynn in based on what I see and feel. <laughs> I'm sorry. Some nerd got it wrong. And, and they said, well, Lance Lynn has the, if that's, if that's true and there's a nerd in the tunnel, fire that he trusted, nerd. He trusted the wrong nerd in the tunnel. You got to fire that happened. nerd. No, I don't think, and, I don't think Lance Lynn even shows up on a nerd spreadsheet. He does in some weird way. Like, Ooh, Nobody would expect this. Look at Lance Lynn's numbers in this particular situation. It's just, it's, it, it doesn't make sense to the eyeballs. Nobody, everybody's looking at like, what the hell is happening right now? Why else would you make that decision? No person who spent their entire life playing the game of baseball with their father his entire life playing the game of baseball and all your siblings playing the game of baseball. And that's your entire life living in and growing up in the dugout. 
would you look and say Lance Lynn is my guy in that situation? I mean, shit, 50,000 drunk assholes at Yankee Stadium that night knew Lance Lynn wasn't the right call. That's what I'm saying. So some nerd in the tunnel who was totally sober gave him a spreadsheet on dot matrix paper and said, this is the guy. (laughs) Anyway, I I really can't wait to read this book. One last final tidbit is that George almost sold the team. Um, So he almost sold the team to Chuck Dolan in the uh, late 90s. There was actually a... Can you imagine? it just the butterfly effect effect that would have happened if, if this went down. George would have sold 80% of the Yankees to Dolan, but George becomes general managing partner of the Yankees, Knicks, and Rangers. Uh, this would mean Dolan doesn't have the powers to make decisions over the Knicks and Rangers anymore, but I don't really understand how that's possible considering he owns 80% of the teams. I mean, it's it's all in the contract, I would assume. Uh just because you have ownership doesn't, you can still sign away your, your right to make a decision on certain cases. But isn't it, wouldn't it ultimately, obviously the language in the contract, but like, wouldn't it right. ultimately be up to Dolan if he wanted to fire George Steinbrenner? Or what yeah, happens probably. when George Steinbrenner was no longer healthy enough to actually work? Right. Like, I'm sure all this stuff was in the language of the contract, like you said. Would it have just the managing uh, direction been passed down to his sons, or would Dolan have taken over in the uh, late 2000s when George Steinbrenner died? You know, all of these questions, like I said, yeah. the butterfly effect of had this deal gone down, thank God, if you're a Yankees fan, that didn't happen. Right. No, that would have been traumatic because <laughs> he is, is, uh, is horrible, one of the worst. Um, could you imagine his reaction to people chanting sell the team at Yankee Stadium? I mean, he'd have to ban everybody. The entire bleachers would no longer be allowed at Yankee Stadium. The The Legends area would be like literally indoors in a box. It would be like a steel cage <laughs> around the Legends area or around the Dolan box. Um, yeah, the Dolan box would be not as, as cool as George's box. But that would be a uh, that would be a disaster. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah. And those are, those are like the three main takeaways, three main uh, storylines from the book, I think, are interesting. There was also some stuff about Randy Levine and, and some other uh, Cashman stuff that, like you said, we're going to talk about once we, once we get to reading. How pissed off would Cashman have been when he's playing the long game for years and years and years? <laughs> he's got to go And then all of a sudden, Steinbrenner goes, and, yeah, Steinbrenner goes and sells the team to Dolan. Now Cashman's like, mother. I got to start all over again. Uh, you know, like square one. Here we go. Well, you know what? What You know, in the late 90s, I think the Yankees were far enough down the path where nothing was going to change those teams at that time. They still would have been great teams. And I think maybe you could have argued that if George got his hands on the Knicks and the Rangers in the late 90s, maybe those franchises would have been better in the short term. But I think right now, the Knicks and the Rangers would still be where they are. And I think the Yankees would be not where they are. Maybe I don't know. That was that was that's too much of a, a hole to go down at this point. But when we're, I don't even know. It's uh, it's interesting because the if, if you're looking at some of those teams, um, I mean Steinbrenner would have gone out and spent money to put uh, you know the uh, a a good Knicks team or a good Rangers team over the top. Oh yeah, he would have done what the Lakers did in, in the early 2000s, and you know Shaq would have been a Nick. Right. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating to go by. I'm glad it didn't go down. Uh, I'm not a Knicks fan. I'm not a Rangers fan. I'm a big Yankees fan. And uh, so I'm glad that the Yankees got the better end of that non-deal. Yeah, so 
Um, that's going to do it for this episode. Opening day is just a mere hours away as you guys are listening to this. Our next episode will be out on Monday. We're going to be answering mailbag questions and playing voicemails. So we want to hear your guys' voicemails. What are your instant reactions from opening day and opening weekend? Call that line at 646-480-0342. Tweet us mailbag questions, Facebook us, DM us, email us on the website at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. I think I covered everything. It's late at night. Scott, final words on opening day. Yeah, this is uh, we're starting that two week that two week uh, show grind at this point. I love it. I love the fact that we're going to be talking about real games after tomorrow. It's this is uh, this is why we all do this, man. This is it's a, it's a ton of fun. Um, so let's uh, let's let's get excited for this team. It's a very very good team, and I think these guys can uh, can really take it. Uh, deep into the fall season. So I'm, I'm pumped up. I hope you guys are pumped up. Uh, if you haven't, again, go to Facebook, search BP Crew, join that group, find uh, the chapter closest to your house, your city, get involved with it. Go to the watch parties that are out there. Um, all the events are on that page too. So go there and check it out and uh, meet up with some, uh, some awesome Yankees fans. I know I've been talking with all the captains in the different cities and everybody's like very, very excited to get this going and uh, really uh, just a bunch of, uh, of cool people that are watching Yankees. So what's better than Talk to you Monday. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.